everyone. My name is Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is episode 38 of the show, where Michael and I are going to finish out our coverage of October 1963, which I'm so sorry, kids at home. This is looking to be one of one of the least enjoyed months that Marvel has done since July of 62. Wow. Now I want to look at what July of 62 was. Uh, I, I can I must have blocked it out of my memory. July. <laughs> well, it was basically um, everybody's second outing, and it just oh. none of it was as good. It was also oh. the first Strange Tales uh, episode, and that was when you found out that they were doing the se- they were just pretending with the secret identity. We did not have a good time. Yeah! Wow. What was Ant Man on that one? That was oh comrade. Okay, so lots of communism. Uh-huh. Actually, they all fought communism that week. I think. Oh. The Fantastic Four was dealing with Kurgo, Master of Planet X, and the oh, Hulk yeah. had to deal with the Ringmaster. Ringmaster and Thor fought communism, and Ant-Man fought communism. Oh, yeah. That's a bad one. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was a rough month. Yep. Well, speaking but, hey, of rough months. We're in better, we're in, yeah, we're in better territory, except not, not super great. So, you know, if you like positivity and your comics podcast, you know, there will be some, but... Um, so here's the positive. The positive is right now you get to talk about your favorite Marvel character. I do. And there is the definitely some is good. That it's not great. But hey. Yeah. It's funny because I was writing notes about this. And I was like, yeah, this really isn't my favorite issue. But in comparison to the other stuff going on, it might still end up on top. We will yeah. see. Yeah. Uh, okay. So Amazing Spider-Man 8 is where we are starting our show tonight, which was released on October 8th, 1963. So it is a second week book as are the other two comics we're starting or we're talking about tonight. And um, Amazing Spider-Man 8 is actually two stories. So we're going to talk about them one at a time. The first one has to do with the living brain. And the living brain is this big green robot. And what you got is you got this um, these people from ICM, which is not IBM. Uh, they bring in this giant brain computer to show off to a high school class because I guess that's what you do when you have the latest Apple product is you just bring it in and show it off to the random high school class. Um, and they're like, yeah, this brain is so powerful. We can put in whatever information and it should be able to, you know, calculate a response. And they're like, oh, what would be a great question to ask it? And Liz is like, I know. Let's figure out who Spider-Man is. And Peter's like, gulp. And they're like, yeah, and Peter, why don't you come over here and help the doctor with the uh, with the robot? And Peter's like, okay, I can do that. Um, and they all give information about the, um, the about Spider-Man, and he feeds in the info, and it puts out a piece of paper with uh, computer code on it. Like, okay, Peter, uh, you're going to take that home and, um, and uh, decipher it. Peter's like, whew, I thought I was going to get unmasked right here in front of God and everybody. Uh, meanwhile, during this entire time, like before the robot and a little bit during and definitely after the robot, Flash Thompson has really eaten his beans today, and he is <laughs> laying into Peter Parker hard. Um, he even shoves Parker so much that it knocks his glasses off. Now, this is 1963, kids. Glasses ain't cheap. And they break on the floor, and he's like, what, are you making a big deal? It was an accident. Come on. So um, Peter and Flash get into such a scuffle that the teacher's like, you know what? Fine. We're going to settle this with uh, proper education discipline. Y'all are going to punch it out in a ring. <laughs> and... Um, so that's going to happen. Meanwhile, the 
two assistant guys who are helping the ICM doctor with his robot are like, you know what? This robot's pretty cool. We should steal it. So they decide to do that. Um, Peter puts on his boxing gloves and goes to fight Flash. Flash is getting lots of love from his friends. Hey, you're gonna, you're gonna, how long are you gonna toy with Parker before you knock him out of the ring? And Peter's just standing over there all by himself, wishing that he didn't have to do this and try and figure out what to do with his life. And one, I remember there's one kid who's like, man, if only Peter could maybe, nah, not a chance. So the fight starts up and, um, Peter's just dodging everything that Flash throws at him. And Flash is getting a bit frustrated uh, until finally there is a sound far away. Oh, because while the fight's going on, we cut back and forth. There's two guys trying to steal the living brain. They're trying to steal the living brain. And while they're stealing it, they accidentally knock the controls. And the living brain robot starts spinning its arms like at high speed circles and rolling around. So now it's like out of control and it's a bludgeoning weapon of mass destruction. So somebody in the hallway sees it and screams real loud, which is what happens. Uh, what's the sound that hear over in the boxing ring? Flash turns around to hear it. And just as Flash turns around is when Peter has decided to land the smallest punch he knows how to land. And it kablooies Flash out of the ring. But everyone saw that Flash turned around. It's like, oh, you sucker punched him. And Zack Snyder says, oh, that's the name of a movie. Okay. And um, <laughs> I love Zach, but that's not what happened. Uh, so, yeah. Then Peter hears the screaming, goes, turns into Spider-Man. He carries Flash and puts him in the locker room and goes after the brain. And there's a whole bunch of fighting with the brain that just goes on and on and on some more. Um, but eventually he's able to uh, hit the power switch on the brain to stop the arms from swinging. Uh, Flash wakes up in the locker room and Peter's like, Hey, no one saw Flash while Spider-Man was doing his thing. And they're like, oh my God, Flash is Spider-Man. And Peter's like, and I can just pretend that I lost the other slip in the scuffle. No one will ever know the, the wiser. And I'm pretty sure that's da 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 the end. Yeah, it ends on a happy note for Peter for once. Well, yeah. not for once, but infrequently. Yeah, Peter's life doesn't usually end on super happy notes. So DC Fontana loved the story so much. She wrote a Star Trek episode called Ultimate Computer. <laughs> yeah. That's what I heard. But compared no, to I, this guy, the Ultimate Computer was armless. True, but he did try and like destroy everything too. He did. Okay, so uh, full face up front, I had that collection of 20 issues of Steve Ditko, Spider-Man. This was... Uh, pretty consistently my least favorite of the run as that when I would read through it. Um, there were some others that I, I, you know, wasn't super looking forward to as I would get through them, but um, this was consistently. And the thing is, is it has some good stuff. I like the fight. Mm -hmm. I like the irony with Peter Punch and Flash when he's looking the other way. And I like all the uh, comeuppance emotion during the classroom, but the living brain as a visual uh, just doesn't do it for me. The only thing that's cool about it is that when his arms are swinging, my six-year-old imagination was going crazy with the idea of, you know, bodies getting bludgeoned by those arms. Yeah, I mean, this Flash versus Peter thing is so iconic that even I knew it was coming. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm amazed that it happens in this otherwise, you know, kind of stinker of an issue. Um We've had so many like great classic Spider-Man villains, and then we get this. I guess you can't do that every issue, but I don't know. 
is just kind of a, a silly uh, premise, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you have, um, you have a, why even give an ultimate computer? My notes, obviously ICM. Yeah. Why even give an ultimate computer bludgeoning arms if all you wanted to do is answer questions? You know. Right. <laughs> why? Why can it go in attack mode on accident? Why is there an attack mode? Why is it a mobile attackable computer? I don't know. If it's a living brain, shouldn't it be in a big box with flashy lights? Mm-hmm. You um, think? Yeah, I'm just looking at my notes, and I mean, ICM is obviously IBM. Oh, rip Peter's glasses. What's that? Peter's glasses. Okay. They're dead. So, um, I guess glasses aren't made of glass anymore, huh? These days, no. There's some sort of, like, you know, plastic. So, they're I'm less poke- shatterable. I'm poking on mine right now. Yeah, they wouldn't do that if I dropped them. They might no. scratch. but They might scratch, but they're, yeah, they're like a polymer now that uh, behaves similarly to glass whenever light goes through it. That's kind of scary. You're walking around wearing, like, glass right in front of your eyeballs. Right? I don't know. I guess I'm glad they fixed that before well, I had to that, wear glasses. Yeah, that's where the whole you wouldn't hit me with glasses things comes from. Because, like, oh. now if you, if you punch money in the face with glasses, you, you know, it's not going to be great for them. But there aren't super dangerous, I you know, glass shards going into your eyes. Wow. That makes a lot of sense. Um. And yeah, so the fight is really freaking cathartic as a picked on kid. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be completely illegal today. So or that's it, like a that's a trope in TV and movies and comics like this. You guys are going to settle this in the ring, but has any school ever actually done that ever in the history of schools? I don't. I just always assumed as a kid that it was one of those things from the sixties they just don't do anymore. That like yeah, you could but, actually have kids fight it out. But I don't know if they ever did that. I guess they probably did. Things were a lot less PC at some point. But that seems like a silly, like a horribly um, um, irresponsible way to have kids work things out. Right. If it's not illegal, it's at least inappropriate enough that someone's going to get fired if this actually happened. Yeah. I mean, what if one of those kids get hurt, you know? Right. Well, well how I mean, do you Flash explain gets... that? Sorry, Mr. Thompson, your your son's nose was broken, you know? Right. And there's something a little bit like this in um, – and Ultimate Spider-Man early in the run, like before before Uncle Ben even dies, even um, Peter and Flash get in a scuffle and Flash breaks his hand on Peter. Like Peter, Peter, like catches a punch or something uh-huh. and Flash breaks some bones and his parents sue. <laughs> yeah. See, there you go. That's today's world. Yeah. Um, um, uh, it's interesting, though, that like he as much as like this is probably could be fun for peter it's not fun at all because the entire fight he's just thoroughly worried about like killing flash right and even then whenever he does actually land a blow his entire victory is soured like everything just goes wrong mm-hmm. it's all sad of course it's, it's so terrible that he says sizzling spider webs in the last panel and i hope he never <laughs> says that again yeah <laughs> Or if he does, it's it's tongue-in-cheek or something. Yeah. That's the human torch shining flame and fireballs. I mean, oh my gosh. Yeah. Do you have to? Are you sure? Yeah. Yeah. But I'm I'm pretty done with the with story. With this issue? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It is a lot of fight. You know, this whole month has just been a lot of fight, it seems like. Which, you know, that's a superhero for you. But but uh, it's hard to talk about because who really cares? Right. I guess. Um, yeah, but there's a great backup story that's uh, even worse if you want to. <laughs> Spider-Man tackles the torch is drawn by Jack Kirby and inked by Steve Ditko. These are the only amazing Spider-Man pages that have Jack Kirby on them, as far as I can remember. 
Um, so it's it's drawn by Kirby and inked by Ditko because it's, you know, the torch. And what happens is that the torch is having a party uh, with Doris Evans. And despite her usual protests about him being the, the human torch, evidently with this party, she wants him to show off a little bit. So he uses his... Uh, he uses his flame powers in limited ways. They're still pretty fantastic and pretty cool and like showing off at parties, but not like flying around as a flaming freak or whatever it is that she calls him. Mm-hmm. Spider-Man's like, oh, there's a party. I wasn't invited. Well, screw you guys. I'm crashing. He steps into the door and says, hey, um, I'm here. And he throws like a spider bat at them. So their torches all covered in webs. And the, the, all the kids like, who invited him? Johnny, make him leave. And Johnny's like, fine, I will. So he burns off his clothes and burns off the web. And they fly out and leave the the home. And just like the last time Kirby did a Ditko, I'm sorry, that Kirby did a Spider-Man torch story. Two panels later, they're in the desert. Yep. And I don't know how they got there. And it's just a bunch of fire going, you know, and webs going back and forth. The rest of the Fantastic Four show up. And they're kind of friendly at first, but Spider-Man's not in the mood. He figures they're, like, talking down to him. So he attacks back. Uh, Susan Storm is the only one who's able to get through to him. I think it's because of hormones. And mm-hmm. she's like, you are entirely too clever to be fighting with these guys. Um, and you're too adorable, so stop it. And he's like, oh, oh, woman, yeah, okay. And um, he leaves. And he leaves a web heart on the ground for Sue because she made him feel something he'd never felt before. This whole time I was reading this story, it's like, what the heck is wrong with Peter? Why yeah. is he being so weird? What is going on? But it's 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 one of those things that like I've had a slow realization of over the course of my Spider-Man comics experience is that like Peter's not actually that great of a guy. He's just always the protagonist, and so we want to sympathize with him. So um, when we see him interacting with other people, a lot of times it's not really that friendly. Yeah, I guess that's true, but... Like in this case, he's going out of his way to go to River. Where is it? Not Riverdale. Uh, Glendale. Glendale. Yeah, Glenville. That's where it is. He he goes to Glenville to hang out to see to spy on the Human Torch, see that he's got a new car. Which, by the way, they must pay him some money, man. That's a nice car, and that uh, he has a birthday party going on or a party going on, and he just like wrecks it for no reason other than I guess he thinks Torch and Spider Man are rivals or something. Yeah, uh, the, the the motivation here is really, really iffy and suspicious. But Spider-Man crashes a party and is surprised when they're not grateful. Um, it's it's really weird. There's a bit well, of a con- – yeah. Why should they be grateful when the first thing he does is make a big bat web go into the room and scare the crap out of everybody? He doesn't even say hi first. Right? It's a <laughs> lot like the Fantastic Four num- – uh, not the Fantastic Four. The, uh, the Amazing Spider-Man number one story whenever he crashes their headquarters. Uh-huh. And it's like, can I join your team? And they're like, um, you crashed our headquarters. <laughs> yeah, really? Oh, you know what he says? He also says – he goes – I forgot. He didn't go to – I don't know if he's in Glenville, but he's at Doris Evans' house. Uh-huh. So he figured out where she lives. And then his thought bubble is like, let's see if I can show her what she's missing for not dating me. Right. That's creep. I don't it, know. It is weird. It is it's weird. very weird. I just wanted like either the thing or Flash Thompson to show up and punch him in the face or something. Like – He's being a bad Spider-Man in this story. There's a bit of a continuity note with this story. Um, around issue 21, I think it's issue 21, 
the torch comes up in Spider-Man's book and Spider-Man fights the beetle and who we're going to see in strange tales first. So it's, you know, a reason for them to meet up. Peter meets Doris there and he acts like he's never met her before. Hmm. Um, and so a lot of chronologies will take this story and shunt it down over a year of, of comics later. So it takes place after issue 21. Well, that could work because there's no other reason why it wouldn't work. And then actually yeah. that could, that could make you go, okay, so he meets Doris and then he wants to be with Doris cause he's a hormonal teenager. So he goes to her house and he sees that Johnny Storm has a stingray and everybody loves him. And then he gets jealous. And that could work, but it's such a gap of time that personally I think it's easier to just say, even if he forgets or even if he doesn't know her later, it's easy to forget somebody you met that long ago. Yeah. Or that didn't really matter that much. Right. And um, the only other note I had on this is that I felt like Susan's reaction to Spider-Man at the end was more Janet than Susan. I feel like um, we've talked about Janet degressing a little bit. Now I feel Mm -hmm. like, they're doing the same thing with all Invisible Girl here. Right. Like, like she's entirely too clever and adorable. She's like caring more about hair and makeup and fashion and being a TV star now than she used to. So, and that's all I had for this. This is probably the least we have ever talked about an amazing Spider-Man issue ever. I know, but it's just not that good. We are under 20 minutes. <laughs> wow. Well, luckily, Tales of Suspense is amazing. And we're going to talk about that forever. Right. Right. No. Tales of Suspense, <laughs> number 49, cover dated January 1964. Hey, we're in a new year, technically, sort of, but not really, because it's on sale October 8th, just like Spider-Man. And do I know who, who did it? It's called The New Iron Man Meets the Angel, and it's written by Stan Lee with pencils by Steve Ditko. So he's written around this month. Inks by Paul Reinman. Is that a new one? And uh, letters by Sam Rosen. Uh, so if you recall last issue, kids, he got a new Iron Man outfit. So that's why it's called the new Iron Man meets the angel. And the angel is from the X-Men and he has the power to fly. And that's how this issue starts. He's flying around and he decides he wants to go home, but he's going to take a shortcut because why not? There's no roads in the sky. So he just flies around and he's flying over like a testing site, one of Stark's testing sites. And Iron Man's there supervising it. And he's like, uh... There's a dude flying over. Obviously, he doesn't have any radio, so he didn't get the news that this is a no-fly zone right now because we're about to test this nuclear missile device thing. I don't think it was a missile. Some sort of nuclear thing, explosion thing. And uh, so he's like – he starts waving at Angel to get the heck out of there. And Angel sees him and he's like, hey, that's the infamous superhero Iron Man. And he likes me because he's waving at me. That's cool. I'll wave back. So he waves back and Iron Man's like, oh, God, this isn't going to work. So he flies up there as fast as he can, a little too fast. We'll find out in a second. Um, but he, he doesn't quite make it. The, the blast goes off. It hits both of them. They both live. But because Angel is a mutant, radiation turns him evil. That was not something I ever knew about the X-Men before. Right. But, but, or mutants. Apparently, that's a mutant side effect. If you're exposed too much to a microwave, you become evil. So his face changes and he becomes evil and he flies away. Meanwhile, Iron Man, uh, like, expended too much energy trying to get to him as fast as he did. So his boots, like, stop working and he starts falling and he does some Iron Man y thing, but he still manages to crash into his warehouse. Whereupon he has to run back to his office and plug in like he always does. And he tells everybody, don't disturb me for a while. 
So while he's charging and not knowing about what's going on with the world, Angel, now evil, let's call him Dark Angel. Dark Angel, <laughs> I'm just making that up, but I like it. Dark Angel goes back to the X-Men mansion and he says, I'm tired of being Angel. I'm Dark Angel now. And I'm going to take over the world with my flying power. And uh, they're like, no, don't. You're too powerful for that. We'll stop you. But they can't stop him because they only have laser beams and super strength and ice powers and telekinesis and telepathy. But he can fly. So he beats them all and he flies away. And Professor X is really worried that he's going to take over the world with his flying power. So he tells the X-Men, go ahead and call the Avengers because we can't stop him. So they try and call the Avengers. They try and call every single member individually. Because there's no Avengers hotline yet, I guess, because they're still new. Um, but they can't get a hold of anybody except Tony. Because Tony has his radio on on his chest plate underneath his suit at all times. So he suddenly gets this call. The ex- they have Angel, Dark Angel is on, out in the warpath and someone needs to stop him. So he goes to find him. He finds the Angel like flying around throwing dynamite into the ocean. Because that's how you're going to take over the world. And uh, <laughs> he tries to stop him. They get into a fight. He tries to, like, maneuver him into a warehouse and lock him inside. But the angel outsmarts him, slips out, and manages to lock Iron Man inside. But, you know, it's just a warehouse, so Iron Man gets out. And then he finds him standing on top of a water tower. So he goes to fly up, grabs him, and starts rocketing him towards, you know, space. And Angel's like, you shouldn't do this. You're just going to get higher and higher and your technology is going to fail. But I have awesome natural wings and I can take this way longer than you can. And Iron Man's like, yeah, he's right. But I have an idea. And he like flies anyway until his rockets do inevitably uh, like lose power and break down. And he starts falling. And as he's falling, he's like, I hope I'm right. And it turns out his plan was that hopefully deep down inside, regular Angel is still in Dark Angel, and he won't let Iron Man die. So Dark Angel is watching and watching. He keeps falling closer and closer to the ground. And finally, he's like, no, I can't do that. I'm a good guy. And he swoops down, and he saves uh, or catches Iron Man just in the nick of time. And then they, like, shake on it and say, hey, no hard feelings. The X-Men come out of the woodwork. I guess they were there watching. And they're like, thanks, Iron Man, for saving him. He's like, no problem. I got to get back. He flies home. On his way home, Professor X mind melds with him and also says thanks for saving him. Iron Man has no idea who's talking to him in his head. So kind of just shrugs it off and heads back to the factory, hoping that Happy and uh, 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 Pepper haven't like made the place like, I don't know, broken the place down or something like that. He has no faith in his employees. The end. So remember when we did Strange Tales Annual 2? Uh, pfft, no. That's the team-up that? story between Spider-Man and the Torch. Oh, yes, and yes. it's the one that like, I really, 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 really don't like. Yes. And we came to the conclusion that while it's not at all a good Spider-Man story, it's not that bad of a Torch story. Mm-hmm. So this is not a good X-Men Angel story. Mm-hmm. And it's also really not that good of an <laughs> Iron Man story. <laughs> yeah, this is just bonkers all around. The supporting cast are barely in it. Yeah. Um, some of the dialogue from Angel is some of the worst writing Stanley has done the entire run of this show. And just, he's actually writing it. Yeah, just the whole like, okay, okay, okay. And then... Before another instant passes, it happens. 
the subtle, dangerous change comes over the angel. Oh, Stan, you said subtle. That's funny. Okay, here's the angel's thoughts. I feel different, as though I'm a new person. A smarter, craftier, slyer person. And yes, I'll admit it, a far more evil person. <laughs> yeah, so like on page by page three, I'm just like, okay, I'm done with this story. Right. Because that entire premise is just bonkers. And then later, he's like, we're the good mutants. Huh, big deal. I'm going to find the bad ones, the oh. ones that want to rule the earth, the ones we're supposed to fight. And later on, he's like, yeah, I want to find the bad ones, the ones that, you know, and it's just like, oh, my God. Oh, my God, Angel. I forgot about that whole looking for bad mutants thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's why he was throwing dynamite in the water to, like, attract their attention or something like that. Yeah, like, I'm causing problems so the evil mutants should like me. Mm-hmm. Because they're evil. <laughs> well, sadly, he's not wrong about that. 60s mutants are either, like, extremely evil or not evil. There's no, like gray area like there is now which I, I guess this blast hit angel in the what is it the psychochromosomatic <laughs> what's this thing oh yeah continuity i like it yeah like loki did the thor yeah but is this a nuclear i couldn't remember what they were testing nuclear something right i hope not i hope it's a not deadly <laughs> a deadly atomic explosion is about to be detonated here it is a nuclear a highly refined nuclear explosion so does so that like, mean weak because they both lived yeah, they both live. Now, Iron Man has, of course, special protection in his armor. You know, the armor that is just sleeves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but what about, does Angel just absorb atomic radiation because he's a mutant or something? I don't, I don't know. know. He lived. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, there. This is, a, this is the third of three Ditka stories. They've all been a bit longer. This is... By a long shot, not the best one. Although, really, Mr. Doll wasn't that great. And I forget no. what the other one was that they co-wrote. The art's good, though. Yeah. Kind of. I mean, I like the I like the more slimmer Iron Man. That's kind of neat. Yeah, um, Dicko actually turns Iron Man and makes him look like a human instead of a guy in a, in a robot suit, which maybe you want him to look more like a guy in a robot suit because it's supposed to be Iron Man. But, you know, Dicko slimmed him up. Yeah, well, I think that continues – and, and everybody just says it's because of the costume change. But when he was drawing the gold Iron Man, he also looked slimmer. So it's really a style change that then gets carried over into this new costume, mm-hmm. I think. Because he he always looks more humanoid after that first Mark I outfit. Um, and I guess that's because of Ditko. Who knows what would have happened if he never came along. He could still be bulky for all we know. Um, there's some cool Iron Man bits whenever he's falling in the first scene after trying to help the angel. He has mm-hmm. magnetic repellers to try to, you know, slow his descent. Not mm-hmm. quite repulsors, but getting close. Um, he didn't, whenever the angel was flying overhead, Iron Man didn't immediately just fly up and say, hey, go away. He, like, was waving at him from the ground and only flew mm-hmm. up at the last second. And mm-hmm. I was wondering why, but then it turns out Angel's, uh, Iron Man's boot jets are kind of crap. Like, they don't yeah. last very long. They don't go very fast. Yeah. I feel like Iron Man did okay in this story, or it did did as okay as you can do in this story, and it, you know, this horrible story, I guess. Like, like if you're going to have to go through this horrible story, Iron Man doesn't come off too bad. Yeah, it's just not, like, it's not really very much of a story about him. He's, like, interacting no. with this angel story. No, and we've had some, we've been spoiled lately with a lot of Tony Stark 
storyline mm-hmm. and his new uh you know supporting characters and stuff and now we're just completely devoid of that really other than right. one pep one pepper on the screen scene we've talked in the past um about people appearing in other people's books mm-hmm. as we you know we're talking about the MCU forming together and everything and sure they you know they all show up in the Avengers book but as far as actually showing up in each other's books and the X-Men and Avengers all show up in Iron Man's book so he is officially more connected to everybody than the Fantastic Four. Oh, uh, yeah. I was going to ask, is this the first time anybody's crossed over in an Iron Man book? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it would they, have to be. They picked this story to do it, but yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, the angel, I mean, I'm sorry. He's just, he's just like the vulture. I guess he's younger. He but- dodges laser beams really well. He, he beats the entire X-Men. And I don't know if that's because they're holding back and don't want to hurt him and he doesn't care yeah, or or what. And then, like, he also, I guess, apparently can outdo, like, rocket jets with, you know, dove wings or whatever. You'd think, <laughs> you'd think the jets would be more powerful, but oh, well. It's just silly. Like, I don't know. I'm not sure who they should have picked that would have been better, though, because, I don't know. You can't do aerial flights or aerial fights with uh, – Iceman, I guess, but there's a bit of a continuity gap in this book with the references to the uh, Avengers mm-hmm. because it seems to imply that the previous issue of the Avengers hasn't happened yet because it shows the Hulk with the team and talks about trying to reach Bruce Banner. Oh, but in Iron Man in uh, Avengers number two, and Hulk leaves the team, Iron Man is in his old armor. Okay, but. That's interesting. It does show a picture of that, but it also is just a caption of them describing who the Avengers are. So maybe that's just their imagination. I don't know. It's not like what's actually happening. You know what I mean? Right. The Avengers, a dedicated group of Earth's mightiest superheroes. And it shows a picture of them with, yeah, a team that's never existed because Iron Man's new armor and the Hulk's on there. Right. But you know what's interesting also is that Bruce Banner is working because we haven't seen Bruce Banner since. We really haven't seen Bruce Banner, like, at all. Not in the Avengers. No, we haven't seen him since his last issue of the Hulk. He's been the Hulk the entire time in the Avengers, hasn't he? Yeah, that's that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. Like we he's have no idea. So he he still looks like he's working on missile test sites. So maybe still for the army. And then in his spare time, when no one's looking, he turns to the Hulk and jumps around. I guess. You know, this does lead credence to my theory that they didn't intend for the Hulk to stay off the team. Mm-hmm. That when the Hulk left the team. They could have intended to have him come back after a couple of issues. Let him be an element of chaos. Let him have some problems and then bring him back. And this story would slot very nicely after, say, issue four. But something else happened in issue four, which threw off the entire dynamic of the team. Not in a bad way, but it meant the Hulk was no longer going to be a part of the Avengers. Yeah. And um, and yeah. Yeah. They just don't deal with his other his alter ego at all. And that kind of reminds me of the cartoon. What was that called? The Mighty Avengers or something? Wasn't he just the Hulk all the time in that too? Uh, he was in Avengers Assemble. Oh, that's um, what it's called? I can't remember. There's like two of them, I think. Yeah, Earth's Mightiest Heroes is the more, I don't know, cartoony looking one that was very influenced by early MCU and you know ran like five years ago. And then Avengers Assemble has been going for the last few years. Okay. Um, also note that... Um, Jan and Hank are like seemingly on a date. They're on a date. Look at those two. They're so cute. 
It even says in the caption they have only thoughts and eyes for each other. So it's like they're all being romantical for the first time, and it's not even in their own book. Right. Oh Interesting. Gosh. It is. So so two minor things to extract out of this otherwise horrible story. Yeah, I'm just looking to see if any of my notes are even worth bringing up. <laughs> um, so on page nine, mm-hmm. uh, Pepper totally roasts uh, Happy. Um, pan- Go ahead. The first panel, uh, Happy says, "Say, boss, did you hear someone else's voice?" And Tony says, "No, Happy, they're only ima- you're only imagining things." Now, excuse me, I'd like to be alone. Um, oh, because he has the radio in his chest under his suit, and it's which, transmitting. Which, by the way, God, that's a horrible idea. Yeah, that's going to be like potentially very awkward to have Avengers priority signals coming in right? to your daily life. Yeah, he's just standing around working with the government, and then someone says, Iron Man, we need you. Uh-huh. And then the second panel, whenever Tony leaves, Happy's like, did you hear that? Did you hear he spoke to me? To me, his personal chauffeur is his trusted pal. I've got a good mind to quit. And Pepper says, quit what, Happy? You haven't done a bit of work since you came here. And I'm just like, roast him. Because she's not wrong. No. <laughs> Ever since we've hired Happy, Tony's just been like, nope, not today. Nope, nope, no driving. Nope, thanks. Nope. And hop on the nope train. And that's been a sore spot for him, too. So she's really just sticking the knife in and twisting. Yeah. And interestingly enough, I don't know if this is a, a gaffe or if we should keep in continuity, but Tony says it must be pretty serious if Professor X wants the Avengers to help his X-Men stop the Angel. It's supposed to be secret that Xavier is linked to the X-Men. Hmm. And Stark has linked the two. But it's also weird because Cyclops is the one who made the call. So I'm almost thinking it's a it's a dialogue mistake on Stan Lee's part. Or we could say the X-Men have connections with the government, as we saw with the uh, Vanisher. Um, and if they do, and Iron Man or Tony Stark has connections with the government, and he's also rich. So they know everything because we always assume rich people know everything. That maybe he just knows about the X Men when publicly they're not known. Still, I like that. I don't know. As I a don't potential, know. Uh, I just noise. made that up. Made no, that it, up. It might work. Yeah, maybe they're still registered or something. Oh, we don't do the register thing till the eighties, I guess, or nineties. But yeah. So whenever Angel is out there flitting around, blowing crap up, um, there's a caption box: "The wary evil mutants recognizing the Angel suspect a trap." And do not show themselves. And I can just imagine Magneto hearing the angel ranting about evil and dismissing it as useless prattle. Yeah. What does that winged fool think he's up to? By the way, last panel on page four, not to go backwards. Mm -hmm. There's a big gaffe again. Uh Uh-oh. Iron Man becomes millionaire manufacturer Anthony Blake. (laughs) They keep doing that. Everybody's becoming Dr. Blake in all the comics. Yeah. I think Henry Pym was Dr. Blake a couple issues back. Yeah. I guess they really like that name. Um, Running out of things to say, we saw transistor-powered magnets for the first time in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, he taxes himself to the limit and starts falling out. Oh, he's they, they've they um on page 15, when he kind of like runs out of energy and starts falling and dying. Mm-hmm. This is a trope that they've actually used in the movies a few times now. Mm-hmm. Avengers, the end of Avengers. It's just kind of cool. I, I like that he defeats him by, you know, appealing to his good side as opposed to just punching him out, you know. 
I kind of um, feel like it shouldn't work, but it does. No, that's the problem. Like the entire thing doesn't make sense. Like why he's evil in the first place makes no sense. But, but uh, you know, if it's not going to make sense anyway, at least it's a nonviolent way of winning. Sometimes that's fun. And my last note is that earlier in the issue, Xavier begins to doubt that his entire X-Men concept is not going to work because his students he's trying so hard to mold into shape can just turn evil at the drop of a hat. And at the end of the issue, he's like, oh, I didn't fail. My X-Men training program is successful. Even under the influence of atomic radiation, Angel could not permit a fellow mortal to die. And I'm just thinking, okay, this crisis of doubt feels like it should be an important note for Xavier yeah. And it's not in his own book. And it, and it shouldn't be wrapped around this nonsense either. No. It'd be nice if it was somewhere else. And I'm sure he'll have a crisis of doubt in the future that makes more sense. Uh, but yeah, I have like nothing else to say really. Okay. Cool. Do, you have anything, do you have anything to say about the backup story? Well, I should summarize it because it's really important. But right. uh, yeah, there's two stories in this book too, kids. So it's exciting. This is a new... I assume it's going to be an ongoing thing for a while. It's a backup story called Tales of the Watcher. Yeah, this runs until Cap shows up. Okay. So also by Stan Lee, uh, with script and art by Larry Lieber. Inks by... <sighs> inks by George. something Bell. George, thank you. I had to look it up real fast because they just put G-Bell. G-Bell, dog. Inks by G-Bell, George Bell, and lettering by Sam Rosen. And basically the premise is that the Watcher is going to tell us stories, I guess. And this story is called The Saga of the Sneepers. And it's an alien race on the planet. I don't know what. And they're called the Sneepers. And they go around destroying people and conquering worlds. Um, if you've ever read, uh, uh, um, what's that impossible comic book? I forget. Incredible. Incredible. I think it's called Incredible. Kid Incredible? I don't know. What are you talking about? Never mind. Image Comics? Incredible. Invincible? Invincible. His race, his dad's race, same thing. They go around destroying everything, I guess. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess lots of races do that, though, so never mind. Weird analogy, but it popped in my head. So, yeah, they go around destroying stuff. Anyway, and they have their eye on Earth, and one day they're looking at it, or actually over a lifetime they're looking at it, and they're like, well, we're not going to attack this planet because it's full of cavemen. Oh, look, they can barely paint. Oh, look, they can barely sail. Uh-oh, wait a minute. They're getting more technologically advanced. Now they can fly. Uh-oh, they're making guns. What are we going to do? We should attack them. Let's start building up an army. Wait, wait, look. They invented the nuclear bomb. Never mind. We don't have to attack them. They're going to kill themselves. We're fine. And that's how the story ends. And then the Watchers pleads to us for three panels that we should stop using nuclear stuff because we're just doing the Sneeps uh, work for them. We should instead let them attack us, I guess. The end. So then we come to the Fantastic Four twenty two. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I gotta admit the ending was a little kind of cool, like just the whole like peace, love, dope message. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, I don't it, know. They're just throwing it's a that little at us. Heavy, but it's, yeah, it's very but, timely. This is nineteen sixty three. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is. Oh my gosh, are we going to survive the night? Yeah. So, like you know, if you're eight to thirteen, reading that, then maybe you just learn that. That super bombs are a bad thing. And maybe reading it is what helped people to understand that super bombs were a bad thing and they grew up to not do super bombs. Mm-hmm. But yeah, otherwise, it's about as throwaway as the, uh, you know, boy, exact same thing. Wasp going to tell us stories every week, every month, and Watcher's going to tell us stories every month? Yeah. And okay, so I'm wondering about this because 
they have these backup stories that have nothing to do with superheroes, nothing to do with the Marvel universe. Mm -hmm. If you buy the book because Iron Man's on the cover and you have stories in the back, you have those stories to read or not to read regardless of what they are because Mm -hmm. you bought the Iron Man comic. Mm -hmm. So wrapping one story in the Watcher or wrapping another story in the Wasp just feels superfluous. So do you think these stories were already going to happen? Because, you know, up until now, we've, like you said, we've had these backup stories that are just random short stories. Do you think that Stan or somebody's like, I have an idea. Let's take these stories that we were already going to do and just bookend them with a Marvel Universe character. So now it feels like more important. Yeah, I think it easily could have gone that way. I don't have any, obviously, any concrete idea. But yeah, it could have been just a story that got some some framework done to it. Because mm-hmm. yeah, like you said, otherwise, there's nothing that has anything to do with the Watcher. And obviously, the Wasp story, the same thing. Nothing that actually had anything to do with her. And they're only on like the first and last panels, essentially. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But hey, now we have to cover them because they did that. They knew someday we'd make a podcast. <laughs> they're like, well, they're not going to get out of these stories anymore. Um, one of the benefits we do get from this backup strip, uh, the series of strips, is that we get like an or- a Watcher origin story. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the last ones they do before the series ends. So that'll be fun. Yeah. But other than that, it's really just summarizing the short story and talking about the moral. What do we learn today, kids? Don't yeah. blow each other up. That's a good moral. Yeah. If you, you know, like living. Okay. Do you think we'll destroy each other, T-1000? It's in your nature. <laughs> it's in your nature to destroy yourselves. Okay. We just watched the first one. I just showed my son the first Terminator last weekend. We're going to watch the second one tomorrow. Second one's great. Uh, yeah, I re- really, I showed him the first one so I could show him the second one. Yeah. Even though it kind of opens a can of worms of like it could be never ending now. But it was a good second yep. one. All right. Celebrate with us the return of the first supervillain the FF ever faced. See how the Mole Man is presented now in the new, much-talked-about Marvel manner. I guess Yay. now we figured out what superhero comics are, we're going to bring the Mole Man back and see what you think about him. <laughs> yeah, because they were not superheroes in that first encounter. They were they nope. were mon- monster nope. hunters. Nope. Yeah. So um, we open up hanging out in uh, Fantastic Four headquarters, and Reed has put this big old thing on Susan Storm's head. And she's posing, you know, kind of sexy in it. And basically what he's doing is he's measuring her invisibility powers. While he's doing that, uh, the torch and the thing are, are messing around. And they're messing around. Susan Storm instinctively wards them off by throwing up a force field, which is what Reed totally expected she'd be able to do. She throws up a force field and he's like, okay, now see if you can change it. Like move it, change its thickness, move it around. She's like, oh, wow, I can totally do this. Um, they try, you know, testing the force field, see if the torch can burn through it or the thing can bust through it. Neither one's possible. So then the Fantastic Four starts getting a lot of complaints from their neighbors about all the noise, all the noise, noise, noise. And, uh, the thing just like takes all their phones and crumples them into dust. (laughs) So, um, they also get complaints about the torch's flame busting people up. And while the torch is trying to ward off the guys, they get... All of a sudden, swished down the hallway and out the door, and turns out it is the uh, Susan Storm. She turned a TV tray invisible and pushed it down the hall, hitting the guys with it, 
and pushing out the door. So then uh, Reed's like, oh, wow, you have more powers. There's a thing, though. She has to be visible when she turns something else invisible, which Mm. makes sense. She can only affect one thing with her invisibility at a time. But a weird side effect of that is that when she turns something else visible, she automatically turns invisible, which makes less sense. But that's okay. We're going to keep on going. So neighbors really complain about the Fantastic Four and they have to kind of ward them off. And so the Reed's like, you know what? I've got to figure out some place to put all my stuff, my missiles, my more dangerous experiments. Let's go put them on. Hey, there's an island on the map. Let's go put them on this island. Let's go check out the island. Like, okay, let's all get in the plane. Go check out the island. They go to the island and on the island, they get attacked by the Mole Man. He has his army of moloids and he is all mad at them because they tried to kill him in the first issue and he's still alive. He captures them and stuff happens. Um, They (laughs) fight and they have to get out of shenanigans and all their powers get tested pretty thoroughly. Um, I think Sue does end up saving the day by turning something invisible. But then turning it revisible like messes up her invisibility power and makes her, I don't know. It's, it's weird, but they, um, they do eventually get away trapping the mole man and the moloids. Oh, I forgot the whole like reasonable man was moving around. <laughs> he has put all these platforms underneath the cities of the world, you know, various cities around the world that he's walking to. Yeah. Underground. Mm hmm. So he's walking with his moloids to all these various cities or the platforms. What he's going to do is he's going to push a button and it's going to pull the cities underground. And he's going to have them underground where he can hold them ransom until they give him $1 million or something. (laughs) Is that what he wants? Money? I can't even remember. Like, why would he care about money? I think he just wants domination of the surface world or Susan Storm's hand in marriage or something. I forget what. Uh, so yeah, they stop him from doing that. They stop his mechanism. They mess up the electronics. He goes to push the button and it doesn't work. And they just kind of, you know, leave him on the island. Deuces. Okay, what he wants, I had to look it up because I couldn't remember either. He wants the world to go to war with each other. Oh. So he, he assumes that if he makes all the cities disappear, then Russia will think America did it. And America will think Russia did it. And then they kill everybody. And then the surface world is ours because they'll all be dead. And we can just walk around and no he's one probably, will call me ugly. He's probably not wrong. Yeah. Force fields. Yeah. I'm surprised this happened so fast. I thought we'd have a lot longer to wait for her to become more powerful. I knew it was like early, but not super early. Like it takes, I mean, we've been doing the show for a while now, over a hundred comics and it takes yeah. a while to get here, but, but it's only but 22 it's, issues. Right. It's, as far as fantastic Four history goes, only 22 issues in is not that far. I guess it makes sense because they sure were like cramming it down our throats that, no, seriously, she's she's a very valuable member of our team. We swear. So it's inevitable that they gave her something to make her, uh, you know, I guess in the same league with her teammates. Yeah, it's an offensive weapon now. She can actually attack with force fields. And w- in my head, I have a, a cl- an image of Susan with like a dotted outline white ball on her like forehead. And then like a line from that attached to another ball that's like attacking people. Like mm-hmm. she's projecting mental fields or whatever. It's an interesting new power because it just seems in a way random, I guess. I'm so used to it that I I accept it. But if you think about it, like, okay, I have invisibility power. What else can we give her? Uh, She can make shapes. Okay, Stan, I guess. Yeah. Okay, she can make shapes. Like, how does that one relate to the other, you know? 
Yeah, using invincible, invincible, invisible, not invincible, using invisible energy to make other things invisible, that's a much more logical extension. Yeah. Creating invisible walls or invisible solids out mm -hmm. of nothing does feel a bit like, huh, yeah. really? Are you yeah. sure? Yeah, yeah. And then I also always wonder like how a power knows when one thing is one thing and another thing is another thing. Like – Okay, I can only turn the thing invisible and nothing else. Well, how do you know where the thing stops and the floor begins? Or what if you're holding the thing's hand and you turn him invisible? Do you turn invisible too? Like how did – I don't know. I guess it's all DNA or something or molecular something or other. Yeah, on a basic level, I can see it as her only being able to concentrate on one thing at a time. Mm -hmm. But there is there is always the you know like you said the sort of where does when does one thing stop and another thing begin where does the discrete barrier happen does does the thing's um, blue underpants turn invisible when he turns invisible right yeah or do only the things blue underpants turn invisible <laughs> <laughs> I think this is a power I think this is a limitation that she doesn't she no longer possesses right or does she still have that problem. Well, I wrote that down as, a, as a, it was an interesting, reasonable limit, and I wonder if it sticks. I think it doesn't, but I don't know. Right. Someone who loves the FF, write in and tell us, because I'm honestly not sure. I never heard that limitation before, but that doesn't mean it hasn't been that way the whole time. Right. I know a very few broad strokes of later FF history. Mm -hmm. I know almost no details. <laughs> I feel like so she's it's, it's, made the entire, be, you know... I feel like she's made the entire FF invisible at some point. Does that seem like a stretch? I don't know. I don't know. Stretch. Stretch. All right. So So after Mole the Man after the best part of the story. Yeah, they get started getting complaints. It turns out Mole Man arranged all these complaints. Like, I didn't know where the complaints were going. They felt like they were a weird plot element to have in the story. And the fact that it leads to Reed Richards having to find someplace else to put his stuff, that makes sense. The mm -hmm. fact that it was also Mole Man luring them into a trap because he arranged all the complaints. I thought that was one one road too far. Wow. I didn't even notice that. Yeah. That makes, that makes no sense. I just thought the complaints were funny and Fantastic Four does funny all the time. Yeah. It was just, you know, one of those things that they're having to deal with because they're not the Justice League. I love that one panel where on page seven where he's like, look, Mrs. Forbush. Forbush, I don't know how you got our number, but honestly, this isn't Sam's Delicatessen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah i don't know i feel like this gimmick of of like luring the fantastic four into a trap and then splitting them up and then challenging each of their powers separately and then they all get back together and defeat the bad guy has been done about five times now yeah so that's the part where like otherwise this isn't a bad story it's just like god i've read this already yeah, and once you get to the Mole Man, things start to become much less interesting because then it's just action pieces. Mm -hmm. So we have 11 pages of story and then 10 more pages of, <sighs> okay. And yeah. none, of it, none of the action stuff is really very interesting or very emotionally insightful or you know dramatic. It's all just action. Um, I do call bullshit on Mole Man's entire plan, though, because – can you imagine the efforts needed to do oh. this thing under multiple cities around the globe? I mean, Absolutely. even just transporting materials or even just transporting himself, getting from under one city to under another city. Yeah. yeah. And, he, and he's not just talking about uh, blowing the city up from below. That would be one thing. He's talking about creating a contraption that lowers the city. So right. you, you have to create this entire 
metallic it shows like a picture of this hydraulic system that's like this entire like the underneath the city now has this big bed of metal underneath it that he somehow built and that is connected to this thing that lowers it into the ground it's like that's insanity one of the things about this issue that i had troubles with is how much over exposition reed richards does like especially with like sue's powers and everything Mm -hmm. it's like hey you have another power and oh look i knew you'd get another power and really a third power and it's just yeah. he does a lot of over expounding on the stuff. I could do with less of that. Sue is the highlight of this issue. Mm-hmm. The rest of it, the rest of it's blah. Yeah, even her particular like torture room is more interesting than everybody else's. <laughs> like the thing that it just looks like a living room, but some of the objects are there and some aren't. And um, oh, I know, I had a problem with her though. In that room, she sweeps the room with invisible energy seeing if there's anything she can turn visible. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> well, you it can't depends. Just find invisible stuff and make us be able to see it. It depends. It depends on how they're making it invisible and how she makes things invisible. Yeah, yeah, it does. I feel like they'd be different things. Right. And have they ever explained her invisibility even? Like, because there's like a couple ways, not to get all nerdy about things that don't aren't real, but... Like sometimes they talk about invisibility like someone bends light mm-hmm. around them. And I don't think that's how hers works because I feel like she can make certain layers of her clothes disappear. And if you bend light, you wouldn't be able to see her entire body ever. You know, it's either on or off. Where I know I've seen her like have her outside outfit disappear so you could see the FF uniform beneath. So she's like, right. She's like not bending anything. She's just literally making things disappear. So I'm not even sure energy is, is what's involved with her. Or how Mole Man makes things invisible. It's a good question. I, I don't know. know. I don't know either. I did like that. I like the idea of like killing the uh, the thing with cotton. That was kind of cool. <laughs> like because he's all arrogant, and then it's like, oh, this stuff's so soft, I can't even punch my way through it. I'm just gonna drown. This sucks. But mostly it's boring. Like, oh no, more uh, um, uh, you know, Human Torch. What are you gonna use? Oh, fire extinguisher. I didn't see that coming. Well, um, you have anything else on this issue? <sighs> Not really. It's weird because here we are just a couple minutes under an hour for the oh. first time in forever. We have our, you know, likes and top likes, which yeah. are going to put us over the hour, but we haven't, we haven't danced around the hour mark in a while. Yeah. Well, welcome to October, 1963, I guess. <laughs> and this is the part where it's going to be hard. Cause I honestly don't know what my answer is. Uh, I don't, I don't either. Uh, let's get the uh, – I've got the paper open, so let's okay. go to the website and get the comics. So, so I'll just do a, it. Oh, go ahead. Just a quick review. Uh, Journey into Mystery 99 had Mr. Hyde, mm-hmm. and um, he captures Jane. And there's a weird <laughs> cliffhanger at the ending where Thor oh, decides yeah. to be evil. Oh, yeah. Tales to Astonish 51 had the second half of the human top story, mm-hmm. which was basically just protracted chase scenes. It's basically the first half over again (laughs) with a better ending. Strange Tales was last week's issue, and it had the Human Torch versus the Thing because the Puppet Master was controlling the Thing. It also had Doctor Strange. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Doctor Strange going back to Nightmare World, and we get to see Nightmare again for the first time since his first story. And then the three for this issue, uh, Iron Man versus the Angel, Spider-Man versus the Living Brain, and the uh, Torch. We forgot to say, it's a tribute to teenagers issue. Oh, yeah. 
and it has a very yellow cover, which I don't know what it is about yellow covers, but I did not like this yellow cover. A lot but of people back- love yellow covers. Yeah. I don't know Crazy. if that's a real, like a fetish thing or something, but I've th- I've seen that on Twitter, people collecting yellow covers to show off. Weird. Well, some people are masochists, so yeah. it's just, you yeah. know, not, not judging. And then, of course, the one we just now talked about, Fantastic Four versus the Mole Man. So mm. I think I've picked uh, top, or okay. should I say I've picked a least bottom. Me too. <laughs> uh, what's, what, what are you going to go with? I'm going to go with the greatest comic magazine in the world. Um it's either that or Doctor Strange. I almost went Doctor Strange because at least uh-huh. Doctor Strange wasn't a freaking the same old Mordo, you know, let's fight our ghost thing. It was a little more uh-huh. interesting and it was a little longer. And I thought the Nightmare World was pretty cool. But yeah, we still don't get a lot of characters. So I'm going to go Fantastic Four only because even though it is a little repetitive, the art is still on top and we get the whole invisible girl gets new powers and i did like all the complaints and stuff i thought that was fun so comparatively speaking it's definitely not the best fantastic four issue but compared to the rest of these books it's the best thor was not terrible because don heck has been doing decent art Uh and uh the stories have not been great but Mm -hmm. at least mr hyde wasn't bitten by a freaking radioactive cobra (laughs) um yeah no he just went home and like made it himself after he got not hired and decided to get vengeance because, you know, he didn't hire him because he's a thief. Right. Yeah. What? You found out my rap sheet and say you won't hire me? I must get lifelong revenge. (laughs) How dare you call a thief a thief? Right. Um, (laughs) Amazing Spider-Man 6, 8. Is that your favorite? Uh, It is my least unfavorite. Yeah, because... Like the Fantastic Four, all the side stuff is okay. It's yeah. the it's the main villainy that is not so great. Right. I really like the Flash Peter stuff in that issue. Um, I like the stuff leading into the fight more than I like the fight itself, but the fight itself is also pretty great. Mm-hmm. Uh, the six or seven pages of fighting the living brain I could do without. But um, that I actually really do like the torch stuff. The Dory story in the back with him fighting the torch has bothered me since I was a child. I don't like that story. I don't think Peter has good motivation in it. I think it's just a weird excuse to have them tussle in the desert. Because, you know, the desert is a place to go fight. But Amazing Spider-Man number eight <laughs> is going to be my top pick for this month. So how do we do this? Um, how do we do this when, uh, like, obviously, if there's two different characters involved, like Human Torch and Doctor Strange, you could vote for one or the other. But if Spider-Man, mm-hmm. if Spider-Man has two stories, are we looking at those? Are we voting for, like, best story or best overall issue? You know what I mean? I think if you want to choose one of your Spider-Man stories to be your least for the month, I think that's totally valid. Okay. I'm just going to code it as Spider-Man, but that's fine. Then... The second Spider-Man is my least for this month because that just was so stupid all around. Okay. And I think it put it put Peter in a really bad light for me and just was like the entire time I was reading is like, why? What is going? What is the point of this? You know? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, all the others have sl- sort of. Wow. You know what? There's a lot of uh, verses in this month. Angel versus Iron Man. Human Torch versus Thing. Human Torch versus Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, yeah, heroes versus hero. But uh, I think just just based on Spider-Man's lack of motivation alone and being a big super jerk, that's my least favorite story. 
The two that are warring for least for me are Tales of Suspense 49, because mm-hmm. it had some of the worst writing scripting of the entire Marvel Universe, mm-hmm. and Tales of Astonish 51, because it was just a big non-event. It was chasing the top until they finally figured out how to corner him in the last three pages. But so much of that was just chase, 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 chase. Mm-hmm. And Wasp didn't get to do anything. And, and, and like we said, I think that suffers because it was essentially just one story that they split into two. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not as – it seems like it's supposed to be this epic two-parter, and it really isn't. I think, though, that I'm going to choose Tales of Suspense 49 mm. as my least favorite for the month because, I'm sorry, it is cringy. It's pretty horrible. It's cringy. But I like so, yeah. Iron Man. I don't know. I'm, I find that even when an Iron Man story is bad, I don't want to pick it as my worst because I still enjoy Iron Man for some reason. Right. I don't know. Yeah. But all these are bad. Bad, bad, bad. They phoned it in this month. But, you know, we have we have things to look forward to. Next episode, uh, we're getting into November 1963. And there is a lot of good. Just, just some teases. We have Avengers number three with Hulk and Submariner versus the Avengers. Mm-hmm. We have Journey into Mystery 100, which is the shutout with Mr. Hyde. That might or might not be good, but it's also the last pre-Kirby issue. Um, Sergeant Fury 5 at the mercy of Baron Strucker. Ooh. The Black Knight is going to attack Giant Man in Tales of Astonish 52. That's cool. The, and the Blob is in the X-Men. So that's the first week of November 1963. I am a bad cat fan because I never knew that Baron Strucker was not a cat villain. What? That's crazy. Well, he's, he's more of a shield villain for me than he is a cat villain. Yeah, I guess so. I don't know why I thought he debuted in a, in a Tales of Suspense or something, but I guess not. Wow. Okay. Well, you've seen him in some big cap story, I'm sure. That's oh, well, yeah. He's all over the place. That's why he's in the MCU, not because of Nick Fury. <laughs> um, yeah, it looks like we're going to get Electro and, oh, Dr. Doom again, because we never get enough of him. <laughs> um, oh, I almost, I just clicked on the Rawhide Kid, which doesn't make any sense, because we're not going to talk about him. The eel is back. <gasps> The eel is back, and Doctor Strange gets mentioned on the cover. But look who's in! Look who's in suspense! Look who's in tells the suspense! Iron Man's greatest villain, the theoretically. Mandarin. I've never read a single Mandarin story ever, so that'll be interesting. Yeah, I don't remember if it's any good or not, but we'll, we'll, we will find out. It must have been good enough, because yeah, we know what happens. Must have been some magic in that old top hat they found. <laughs> All right, but this is it, kids. We are we are nearing the end of the year. We are nearing the end of another calendar year. In the next five episodes, 1963, will be behind us. So, so two, three, four, five, six, seven. In four issues, we can find... Oh, no, wait. I could be wrong. Let me see. I'm doing some quick math here. Oh, my God. There's going to be like seven or something more episodes before we get to uh, Avengers 4, huh? My goodness. One, two, three... Yeah, I think there's like 15 more books before we get to him. So that's uh, five more episodes, mm-hmm. something like that. That's getting closer. Yeah, November, December, and then we'll be we'll be ready for for Avengers number four. Yay! Okay, well, I want to extend some thank yous to those who have been supporting the show. Um, as as I, as we had mentioned so often, retweets and shares are always very welcome and very appreciated on the Twitter and on the. Uh, Facebook. Uh, over at Facebook, 
Both Keith Mason and Daniel Doherty are frequent resharers over there at the Facebooks. So thank you very much. And um, who has followed us recently on Twitter? Let's see. Looking up our Twitter followers. We have Ted Jenkins has followed us recently on Twitter. He is um, doesn't have anything in his profile at 44 Burns. Then we have a woman named Desi Booty Utami. Okay. Part of pop culture. It looks like she's either from or in Indonesia. Mm-hmm. Alessandro Rigi, who tweets in Italian, so I'm guessing he's from Italy. And Warlord Worlds is a fan podcast devoted to the comic creations of Mike Grell, including oh. the Warlord, John Sable, and Green Arrow, part of the Rad Adventures Network. So that's pretty great. So Indonesia, Italy, and Worlds. We're very international this week. <laughs> we are. We are. And I feel like I should know who this guy is that does the Warlord Worlds podcast, but his name is not popping into my head. It's probably Mike Grell. Probably. Talking Superheroes. At Heroes Talking is a, a, just a side about superhero stuff. Um, Obi-Juan Kenobi. At Juan C. Pineda. Uh, don't try it, Anakin. I have the high ground. <laughs> We're also been followed recently by Armand Boudreaux. Our father, husband, English professor, and comics enthusiast. The Uncaped Crusaders at Uncaped Review. They talk about and invent about all things Batman and review every Batman film ever made. So um, I don't know if you know any Batman fans, Mike, but if you do, you might mm. mention that to them. That's going to be a really short podcast. Maybe. And uh, Skerrick, because I think it's uh, we're recording this in October, so everybody has put like spooky themes into their names. But at Eric R. Wilson, a man walks into a bar. He says, ow, is his uh, his profile. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you very much for supporting us over on the Twitter. Give me two ticks and I'll have the Facebooks up. Looks like there have been no new Facebook likes <gasps> since. Because uh, Joseph Rollins is my friend that I work with who has liked the show. And um, we've already said thank you to him but thanks joseph glad you're out there listening so All right if they had showed a scene or two where obi-wan and anakin were training back when obi-wan back when anakin was younger and obi-wan constantly was beating him by having the high ground wouldn't that have been a much better ending huh huh then the high ground thing makes sense god i'm good anyway i just <laughs> thought of that right now I sure it was some like weird fighting tactic strategy thing. Yes. I don't know because I never go and do tactic fighting with anyone. Yeah, but see, that's like just if something you're higher up. Can you if you establish that it works and then you do it when he's at his most arrogant, huh? Anyway, they right. didn't ask me. They didn't ask me, but I fixed it. Someone could write a short story about that. But then Anakin jumps, so he has the high sky for a second there. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. No one asked us. Mm -mm. And since they didn't, I guess we're going to have to say goodbye. So until the angel really does join evil mutants as the angel of death, make ours marvel. marvel.